like complicated problems. I've always quipped that they're the ones that you can make the most money on. But what about the really big ones? I found Deborah Lamb, who is the founding director of the Partnership for Inclusive Innovation, who talks about wicked problems, the really big ones, through public-private partnerships on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Deborah, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I'm super excited to understand a little bit more. Now, your title is the founding director of the Partnership for Inclusive Innovation. Mm -hmm. For those of us not familiar with that, help me understand what, what is the mission of the organization and what are you aiming to accomplish? Yeah, so I guess the tagline is that we are a public-private partnership that catalyzes innovation for shared economic prosperity. So we see innovation as a continuous improvement it's not just an end state and very much of a journey. And we think that inclusive innovation is defined as increasing access and opportunities for everyone to innovate, but that that innovation leads to more economic prosperity that could be shared throughout. Gotcha. Now, one of the things that sort of fascinated me is you, you did a TEDx talk and you discussed the idea of wicked problems and these, these really big problems that seem really super insurmountable. And that one of the ways of, of addressing this was these local partnerships and innovations. Can, can you help me understand, give some examples of like what this is in practice? Yeah, wow. I'm impressed that you mentioned the TEDx talks. That was, that was quite a, a homework challenge for me. Um, but yeah, so wicked problems I define as just really complex challenges, right? That can't be solved easily or by any one entity alone, right? So think of climate change or poverty or homelessness, right? These are major societal problems that just isn't something that could be done within one clean swoop or any one individual or organization. Given the complexity of these problems, and I dare say they are growing and increasingly getting worse, um, we really need to boil down more at the local level and think more holistically about who are the other organizations, actors um, that could get involved to not only work together on it, but share the risk and really leverage the resources together to address the, the problem. Okay. Now, you're, you're my, my entrepreneur ears are shooting up because one of the things that I, I love complex problems mm -hmm. because I always quip and say like complex problems, well, those are the ones that generally turn out to be profitable because if everyone could solve them, they'd be commoditized and kind of boring. But you're exactly right. Like it's super intimidating when you get a problem like that, when you think about like climate change or, or mm -hmm. poverty, right? It's, it seems like that's one of those ones that as an entrepreneur, I'm reticent to sort of 
go, well, I don't even have an idea of how to start that. So give me some sort of idea, uh, particularly like from a technology angle, about how you can leverage here to tackle these kinds of pro- these wicked problems. Yeah. So we think of technology as a tool, right? Like it's definitely a tool that can be used to leverage the problem versus something that you are starting with. And I think that's a very important part when we think about software, hardware, you know, these types of technologies and innovation. If you start with something like that, then you're trying to find, you know, the the nail that your hammer uses, right? So we very much start with the problem and then think about what are the applicable technologies that could be utilized to help the problem. And know that technology needs to be accompanied by public policy, business models, community engagement. It's, it's, a, it's a toolkit that you need, and technology is but one of the um, solutions to a more holistic and comprehensive toolkit. Can you give me like an example of of one that, to help wrap our minds around like what this might mean? Yeah, like what's a yeah. good concrete so, example? Let me give you an example of the project that we're doing in Atlanta. And this is with the city of Atlanta. It's with two universities, Georgia Tech and Morehouse School of Medicine. It's with a local nonprofit group, Focus Community Strategies. And the problem that they have is energy poverty in a neighborhood, right? And this is, again, a very common problem. There is a um, disparity between the renters and the landlords in terms of the upkeep. The uh, tenants are, are paying a lot more for their energy um, because they are, you know, paying the monthly bills. But it really, it's some things that can be done from the landlord side that could really be producing some cost savings, right? And this is in the neighborhood that is lower in terms of the social economic. So that is the problem, right? And what the team um, decided to do in terms of the technology was use drones to conduct energy audits in the neighborhood. So looking at where the areas that really could be targeted that would have the greatest bang for its buck or the impact. And by doing that, that allows a prioritization of the needs of the community and where we could really make the most impact. This is coupled with uh, a larger stakeholder engagement. It's coupled with, you know, teaching, education, research, a lot of other things. But the singular technology is innovative, right? We've never used drones to conduct an energy audit. And so we want to use that to try, and that's used to answer a question, but then also using the results of that technology to then be applied in the other areas of the project. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now that's super cool, right? That's for my, the the technologist in me goes, wow, that's exactly like the kinds of solutions we're looking at. Talk to me a little bit about how the beginnings of that start. Like mm-hmm. how does, do, do we go from identifying the problem to getting the right stakeholders in the room to consider? Yeah, options? yeah. I can give you, give you another example um, that went through that process. So it's a city of Warner Robins um, and it's a public safety uh, project. So again, public safety is something that all communities are facing. There's not enough resources in the public safety department, the police department. You know, how do we address the needs of the community against the diminishing resources that a city might have um, to face, right? So 
they started with a technology, right? Let's let's try to identify the cars that are coming in and you know uh, you know might be doing some harm, etc. So it was a very singular technology, and it was led by an engineer, right? So a Georgia Tech engineer, um, and we thought that was great. However, for us, public safety is not just an engineering solution, right? There is a a, a, a wider social kind of community component. So we worked with um, the Georgia Tech team to identify like another researcher from Middle Georgia State University to provide the social sciences to underpin the research and make it a little bit more holistic to understand the needs of the community. Um, we also obviously worked with the city of Warner Robins, identifying the public safety department, the mayor, and kind of put together that team. And then obviously once that team is in place, it's up to them to work together through their scope of work to really run on those on that project. Ultimately, we don't come in knowing the answer, right? We have a hypothesis. We think this might work. We think this might be an interesting collaboration. They've never collaborated before. Let's try to bring the hard sciences with the soft sciences. Let's see how the research can be taken outside the laboratories or the academic publication into the global community. Let's see how the community can provide feedback and provide more innovation um, and advance the research. And then through that process, we actually saw a 30% reduction in crime. Um, so really some great um, kind of pilots and lessons learned, but also coming from that pilot, you develop a relationship with the community. You can kind of see where this evolves. You're building local capacity. You're building additional innovations. So lots coming out from, again, focus first on the problem, and then think about who could be the um, actors and organizations that could be part of this. So that's exactly where I was kind of wondering. So if you're thinking about how that gets, how is the private portion of this work? So you've mentioned, because you mentioned cities and you've mentioned research organizations. And so I'm immediately going, okay, that's the public portion yeah, of the, of the yeah. private so, partnership. How does the private bit work? How, how do small, how do companies get involved? To yeah, well, that? lo and behold, there is the, the company that the city of Warner Robins used was Flock. It is a startup unicorn that came out of Georgia Tech. Um, and has been providing uh, license plate readers and cameras and this type of technology. So they were a very active partner in this project, as they are with many communities throughout the country. Um, and so that's that's really where the private sector can come in. Private sector and some of these projects come in by with the technology, with you know a potential solution. But they are actively working in partnership, right, with the academics, with the local government with the community groups, et cetera. Um, and, and they're very integral to all this. Now, I'd be remiss, particularly in the time that we're talking about, to say, okay, let's inject a little AI fun into all of this. Because, <laughs> because, 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 by the, because it feels like there's a lot of impact going on with artificial intelligence, particularly as we all talk about generative artificial intelligence. How are you seeing that potentially influencing the kind of work that you're doing in these public-private partnerships? Yeah, I mean, I see in the workforce, right? So I have a, a pillar that's focused on workforce development. And behind that pillar is um, really trying to train, support, mentor next generation innovators, um, uh, particularly people that might not be in this space. You know, how do they need to have the experience and the skill sets to ensure they're competitive? One of the things that we find is for uh, a lot of the younger generation, they, it's hard for them to get a first job if they don't have work experience. 
And if they don't have work experience, they can't get a first job. So it's that chicken and egg issue where you're trying to kind of help them. So we cut through that and we provide that first risk and we identify, hire, you know, the early career professionals. Um, and then we give them a one year fellowship where they spend six months in the private sector, six months in the public sector along key growth strategies. Um, so that they gain subject matter expertise, but then in that process, learn how to really deepen that public-private partnership, know how to navigate different cultures, different work environments, you know, different sectors. Um, so that's one level of really thinking about how AI transforms the future of work. But then another level that we saw is actually where this next generation of innovators can be on the forefront of, of AI. So we have a whole vertical that's focused on AI manufacturing, right? So it's taking your traditional manufacturing, which, as you know, has been declining um, in the U.S., but seeing where the competitive edge is for the U.S. and, and other, other places and seeing how it could advance with higher jobs, more outreach, more growth, um, and really provide better um, needs for the community as we go. So it's both uh, I would say changing how we think about the future of work and who's going to be part of this workforce development, but also utilizing it in terms of industry and competitiveness and growth. Interesting. So how can smaller companies contribute to or benefit from these public-private partnerships? How can they get involved? If you're, you know, you're not necessarily the University of Georgia, you're not a massive startup, yeah, yeah. Like how can these smaller companies get involved? Yeah. So what's interesting is that uh, for a lot of these smaller communities or smaller companies is that there's tons of, from an academic side, there's lots of different uh, centers of higher ed, right? So you you could talk about your, you know, big public universities or institutions, but there's also smaller colleges and technical colleges and smaller private colleges. And so each of them, to me, has a huge gold mine of research and innovations and technologies and even future workforce that they can tap into and work in partnership. I also would say on the, on the other side, beyond the academic side is the, uh, you know, local government and the communities that they could get involved in. And this could start just with even being part of the town halls. It could be in the chamber of commerce, the rotary clubs. There's a lot of these other. Um, smaller uh, membership type groups that they could tap into and really start to be a leading player of. Um, we are focused a lot on um, smaller, more rural communities. Um, and to us, I think that's where a lot of the innovations can happen because you don't have the same kind of typical challenges, what I call postcard cities have. So I would see a lot of opportunities for the smaller companies in that same way. Oh, interesting. So what would be like the key factors that make those partnerships effective? So that to keep in mind as these, because again, our audience is going to be those small companies that are considering what are the key factors they should keep in mind that they need to focus on to be effective in these partnerships? Yeah, I would say bring an open mind, but also bring a problem. Like you might have a problem. You can't solve it. You might not know this, the answer to it. See if you can ask, um, you know, another sector, uh, you know, another organization to work on it together. I think having a problem brings people together and they might have the same problem or a similar problem. And, you know, really trying to tackle that problem, I think is, is a great way to start that process. It's about building trust, right? And building relationships in that regard. And once 
you have that kind of process in place, you might not necessarily solve it, hence the wicked problems, but you're building that trust to really get to a, a better state, if you will. You know, it is always funny how a lot of these things always come back to building trust and building community. It's really amazing how oftentimes that's that's the solution. You know, Debra, if people are interested in learning more and getting in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, thank you. Well, obviously, we have social media. So if they want to uh, tweet at us or follow us, we're at PIN Georgia. Um, but we also have our website, www.pingeorgia.org. Uh, P-I-N, and then, of course, Georgia, uh, Partnership for Inclusive Innovation. We, we have a P-I-N kind of put a pin on it. So that's that's been our, our, our logo. Um, but yes, feel free to follow us, contact us. Um, you know, we're very much externally driven and would love to partner, obviously, with, with communities, with private companies, startups, etc. Awesome. I've learned a lot with it today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Are you and your clients tired of the time-consuming ticket tennis of coordinating meetings and help desk calls? Wouldn't it be better to automate this process with a tool that connects directly to ConnectWise Manage or Autotask? TimeZest offers scheduling automation that gives you complete control of your schedule and eliminates the hassle of calendar ping-pong. As the only service designed specifically for MSPs, it integrates into your workflow and makes scheduling appointments easy on you and your clients. Plus, you can try TimeZest for free. Visit timezest.com slash Radio and use the code Radio to get 10% off your first year of TimeZest. The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines posted at businessof.tech. Like the content? Support the show at patreon.com slash mspradio or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. If you want to reach our listeners, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Part of the MSP Radio Network.